Good morning, everyone. Glad to be with you. Well, 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 my first Sunday message as your new pastor. No doubt many of you have Googled me on the internet to see just who is this guy that has been brought in to lead the church. Some of you um, may have seen me yelling at my son's basketball games over the years when he played for Thomas Haney in Pitt Meadows. You might know me as uh, Kim's husband or Connor's dad. Um, I'm fairly well-traveled because of some of the ministries I've been in in the past. I've recently taken up soapstone carving and golfing and uh, old gold panning, all kinds of things that I've always wanted to do. I thought, well, why wait until one of those retirement times? I'm just going to learn how to do fun things now and enjoy life as well. And God keeps guiding me. Uh, but all these things on the outside, my, my accomplishments don't really reflect necessarily who I am on the inside. And today I want to talk a little bit about who I am on the inside. Um, Just for your information, some people say, what should we call you? And I'm good with Tom, Pastor Tom. Some have called me Reverend Dr. Blackaby when I go overseas. Um, The two two terms I don't particularly like are uh, Mr. Blackberry or uh, Mr. Blackbaby. And I've had that a few times. Not my favorite. But today I want to share with you a few guideposts that have uh, guided my life, a couple of scriptures, a couple of quotes that I have gone back to over and over and over again throughout my life. But let me also just say up front that anything good that has come from my life has been because of the fervent daily prayers of my parents and grandparents and my wife over the years. So let me just start with this story about something that's happened in my life. One of my family and I, when we lived in Europe, we were attending a summer conference in Switzerland. We were driving up from Italy at the time, and uh, we were going to the town of Interlaken in Switzerland. It's a, a town between two lakes. I saw the sign to turn left, so I followed the sign to Interlaken. I was planning to go in the valleys to get there, but this one took us up over the mountains and up to a glacier. Uh, it was quite exciting and exhilarating, but it was terrifying at the same time because we had all these tour buses that were coming at us from, uh, from, from up the mountain. Well, as we were going up this mountain, there were a lot of switchbacks, and we could see you know, one face of the mountain to the next face of the mountain. And it was, it, frankly, a little bit nauseating. So I tried to be careful, and as I looked through my rearview mirror, what I saw behind me was incredible. I saw these huge... Alps rising in the distance in these valleys way down below. And it was, to me, it was stunning. It was hard to keep focusing on what was going in front of me when I kept looking in my rearview mirror to see what was behind me. And I got this idea. Uh, my family were all sitting there with their headphones on, reading a book or resting. And I thought, I, they need to see this, this picture that I see in my rearview mirror. So I was looking for a pullout place, and it was really tight traffic and uh, tight roads. And all of a sudden, halfway up this mountain, I saw this little patch of gravel on my right-hand side. And so, without warning to my family, I took a sharp turn, got onto this little patch of gravel just big enough to put my minivan. The problem was I didn't give my family any warning. And there was no guardrail, and they couldn't even see the front of the van. All they could see was I was driving off the side of a mountain. And my wife, she screams, and my daughter, she screams, and my kids are laughing. And, uh, and as soon as my daughter realized that she wasn't going to see Jesus right then and there, uh, her whole life had flashed in front of her eyes. And she pulled the hood over her head, she curled up into a ball in the seat, and she just was sobbing. 
Uh, honestly, she didn't talk to me for about three days. And uh, for me, trying to do an exciting thing for my kids, I just want to stop and show them the view and take a few photographs. But now I traumatized my family. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you've tried to do something nice, something kind, something generous, and it just backfires on you. Well, that's kind of what has happened in my life often. I, I, I have often tried to tell God how to lead me. I, I've given him a lot of pointers on what I would like to do in my life. Uh, but he, it just seems like, wants to do things his own way. And I've learned now not to give him my advice, because it doesn't often work out like I choose it to work out. God's plans have come to me often right out of the blue, much like the email I received from your pastor search committee back in December. I, I, my heart was being prepared for a move, but I didn't know for what or to where. And God's plans worked themselves out. So here's the first quote. I'm going to give you two quotes and uh, two scriptures today in the, in the message. The first one I learned a long time ago, and it says this. There came a man, there came three. The man he was, the man he is, and the man he's yet to be. The book of Romans chapter 8 tells us that we are predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ. And 2 Corinthians chapter 3 says that we are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. And this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So both of these verses are talking about a starting place and a destination. So we're all on a journey from where we are to where God wants us to be. The Christian life, by design, is something that is always in motion. The Spirit is moving us on. He's prodding us. He's challenging us. He's inviting us to grow up, to take action, to go deeper. It never describes the Christian life as something that is stagnant. It's not for bystanders or for spectators. It describes uh, the Christian life as always in motion, going from one place to, to the other. We're not watching from the sidelines. It's an active religion, not a passive one. It's a relationship with God that we continually work out, that we struggle to keep alive, not something that vicariously happens to us by accident. So God's conforming process in my life began at age 11. And he's watched over my development and as a person and as a follower of Christ ever since, from the schools I went to, to the woman that I was uh, able to marry, to the kids we have, to the jobs we've taken. I, we, we look back over our life and we see his hand every step of the way. Our role is to just be in touch with him and to say yes when he asks the next thing of us. I worked as a paid nursery worker as a teenager, all the way up to a senior pastor and everything in between in churches, trying to get a lot of experiences. The only ministry I haven't run is uh, the women's ministry, and that's probably best. But I've always looked at each place of service as a chance to grow, to learn to be better equipped for his service. Lucky for you, I have grown from my first uh, atrocious, embarrassing sermon as a college student to how I'm able to pray. Um, so the conforming process that the Spirit does, it touches every area of our life, not just uh, what uh, we write on our resume, but it talks about our character. It talks about our attitudes and how uh, it's not a skills-based activity when the Spirit is working in our life, but He's trying to transform us from the inside out. So He's worked on my insecurities and my inadequacies, He's boosted my confidence and my competence. 
He's also constantly reminding me of my dependence on him just to, serve, to, to take care of my family. And not just at home, but my family at church, all of you. I see how God is constantly intervening and stepping in and guiding and leading and providing for his people. So I'll admit that there have been times in my life when I felt very, very alone, just like Moses and, um, and others over the years. And I nostalgically look back at maybe how life was so much easier when we had toddlers and one car and, you know, all these dreams for the future. As life goes on, it gets harder. There's more complications. There's more responsibilities. There's more hurts and scars and joys and blessings. But the unwavering truth throughout my life is that God has been there guiding each step of the way. So a verse that has always been true in my life comes from Proverbs 16, 9. In his heart, a man plans his ways, but God directs his steps. I think about the 12 disciples who had, they had life plans, they had vocations they were going for, they, they had dreams for their family, for their future. But then they met Jesus, and everything changed. So we often have this idea that um, we want to do things for God. And uh, just doesn't always work out that way because God has things already planned in advance for us to do for Him. My plans, um, if I'm honest, uh, I would have liked to have written a couple of best-selling books uh, that went viral, and then I would move to a tropical island where I could sit under uh, a palm tree by the ocean sipping coconut juice, writing another best-selling book, and that's how I would really love to serve the Lord. Uh, but the truth is, I have been to the tropics of Africa and Asia and Australia and the Caribbean, the Mediterranean, not to write books, uh, to train pastors, to work in orphanages, to encourage missionaries and challenge students with the gospel. The coconut milk I did drink in one of these countries was for a local remedy to uh, uh, settle an upset stomach that I had at the time. I ate something bad. So I learned not to bother God with my ideas and my suggestions and my plans. I just look for where he's working, and I accept the invitations that he's sending to me. And there have been those occasions when I've had to cry out to God for clarification. Like, God, is this really, really what you want me to do? Is this really where you want me to be? I think about Abraham and Moses and Elijah and David and Paul and many others that kind of had to have a re-evaluation of God, like, Seriously? This is what you want from me? And, and we do have a kind of a condensed version of all of their lives, right, in the Bible. Sometimes it's years before we really hear what God is doing. It's, they just live their life faithfully where God has put them. I remember driving home one day when I was living overseas in Norway. I was pastoring an international church there, and, and things were just more challenging than I had expected them to be. They uh, were more difficult, and a lot of unexpected things came, and I was just, I was very frustrated, and I realized I had moved my family from Canada. I've taken three, three of the, the first grandkids that my in-laws had had away from them to, to live overseas. I pulled off to the side of the road. I looked over the, the, the fjord on the, on the, uh, out in front of me, and I just said, God, what have I done? How did I end up here? And the sun was going down on my, the, the right side of my view, and I, I looked over to where my neighborhood was, where I lived along the, the coast there, and I saw out of hundreds of windows in those houses, only one was reflecting the light 
of the sun that was going down. And God said to me, Tom, you're that light. I placed you where there's a lot of darkness. What happens if you go home? And that was enough for me, for God to just remind me that I was there on purpose. And I had a purpose to achieve for those seven years that we lived there. The second verse that I've clung to is very similar. It comes from Psalm 25, 4 and 5. And it says, make me know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are God of my salvation. And I hope is in you all day long. So as embarrassing as it is to admit, when I worked for my father's organization, Blackaby Ministries, I was the international guy, and um, I got to travel to a lot of interesting places, far-flung places around the world. But I was, I was complaining to God one day, and I said, God, like, you get to send my dad to like, the White House and to the United Nations. He gets to talk to leaders of countries, and I get to all these, these back, small little towns and neighborhoods that, that you're sending to me. How about, you know, give me a little bit of that adventure. And I uh, wouldn't mind having, you know, larger venues to speak to. And um, God said two things to me. First, he said, Tom, you're not ready for the big assignments. And secondly, just be faithful where I put you, and then we'll see. So I, I did all my assignments. I went to various places. I was as faithful as I could be. And then I got a letter from a chaplain that worked at the United Nations in New York. And he says, Tom, there's a, a new country forming in Africa. It's called South Sudan. And I want to take you with me and a few uh, clergy to lead the nation in a time of prayer and fasting before they vote to separate from Sudan. I'm going, where is this? I had to get my map out, have a look to see where Sudan was. And uh, I can tell you right then, I was shaking in my boots. This was not a normal assignment. And so we flew to Nairobi, Kenya. We went to a consulate to get permission to go into South Sudan. And then we went to Juba, South Sudan. We got to our hotel, and I found out it was a uh, hotel made from shipping containers. And uh, fortunately, I got a double wide, and uh, it had air conditioning and a bathroom inside. I was good to go. And it was a nice experience for me uh, in this foreign country. United Nations trucks were around, and lots of aid aid agencies were there. And uh, the day before, I was supposed to meet with the President Salva Kiir in his offices. I was, the night before, I was on my knees saying, God, what do I say? Like, I, I don't know what to say. Give me the words to say. And he says, Tom, now you're ready. And he gave me the words to say. I gave the president a couple of books, the man God uses in experiencing God. And I said, sir, these books will will guide you well as you lead this new nation. Let me share with you a few things of what God has revealed to me over these past 45 years of walking with him. First of all, God knows what he's doing. He's always right. He's got a plan from the foundation of the earth to help us get in the right place so that we can be at the right time and be his hands, his feet, his mouth to share the good news. Secondly, God always knows best. His ways are far better than what we could imagine. When we do things for God, we do things in our power, in our creativity, in our ingenuity, and we can accomplish what man can accomplish. We can't accomplish what God can accomplish. 
when we walk with him and let his spirit guide us and teach us and mold us and shape us and then push us out into, into the ministry he's called us to do, we get to see what God can accomplish. We can see people transformed. We can see hearts changed, souls taken from the kingdom of darkness and put into his marvelous kingdom of light. Back to the first quote, I'm not the man I used to be. But I also know I'm not the man I'm going to be. I know God's not finished with me yet. I know that in a church where God is active and His Spirit is free to accomplish what He wants, He can help all of us move into a place that He has already prepared for us to be. This church is not the church it used to be. It used to be an Albion uh, or, or another, had a whole other name altogether, another location. It's, it's grown up. It's got a, a place of influence. There's lots of lives it touches right across the community. But we're not the church God wants us to be yet. He has still got plans for this church. The second quote I have comes from Scott McKnight in his book called One Life, Jesus Calls and We Follow. Scott says this, Those who aren't following Jesus aren't his followers. It's that simple. Followers follow. And those who don't follow aren't followers. To follow Jesus means to follow Jesus into a society where justice rules, where love shapes everything. To follow Jesus means to take up his dream and work for it. So this, this quote really impacted me. I, I had to read it four or five times when I first saw that because, you know, it's true. Followers follow. Followers means moving from where you are to where God wants you to be. You know, have you ever played follow the leader? The leader lifts up his arm, you lift up your arm. And the leader takes a hop, you, you jump just like they do. You, wherever they go, that's where you go. Well, I have served in a lot of churches over the years, and I've watched those who call themselves followers of Jesus. But they don't appear to be going anywhere with him. They don't seem to be doing anything that would even identify themselves as Christians. They might talk a good talk, but they're not walking the good walk, following Jesus. They've forgotten the two greatest commandments of loving your Lord, your God with all your heart and soul and strength and mind, and loving your neighbor as yourself. Following means getting up from where you are and going with someone to where they want to take you. Following means movement. It means motion, and it means change. So I currently have 473 followers on Twitter. But regularly checking someone's blog or podcast or Twitter feed or Facebook account is is not what we're talking about. We're not following someone's writings. We're getting up and we're, we're moving. We're being changed. We're being transformed. We're being involved in God's activity. Following is going deeper with Jesus to do His work, spending time with Him, growing deeper in our relationship with Him. So a follower says yes whenever Jesus calls. A follower obeys when the Spirit directs. The follower steps into people's lives with his love as God leads them to do. So when I gave my life to Jesus, at age 11, I gave up my right to self-determination. I, I was adopted by God. I was conscripted into his service. I was renamed. I was commissioned and given new robes as a child of God in his kingdom, and so were you. You're not the same. You've been transformed from the inside out, and His Spirit has been placed in you to help mold and shape and conform you into the image of Christ every day. So let me ask you, you may say you believe in Jesus, but are you following 
Jesus? Or are you in the same place right now as you were a year ago? I've told people over and over that this last year, you know, when we've been isolated and alone and, and not being able to go places, it's a perfect time to get to know your Lord and Savior at a more deep and more intimate level. Do you look more like Jesus today than you did? Has he been conforming you to his image or are you being conformed to some image that you've created in your own mind? We've got to look like Jesus not like some movie star, not like some famous person. We've got to look like Jesus is our goal. Can you, can you say that I'm surely not the person I used to be, but I'm working with God as he shapes me to look more like his son every day? And do you understand that you might be the only light shining in your class, at your workplace, in your home, in your neighborhood, with your family? You might be the only light that he has put strategically for you to make a difference as he leads and guides you. You know, the wonderful aspect about the church is that we are on this journey together. Right? We're, we're brothers and sisters, the walking side by side. Some of us have gone down the, the journey with Jesus a little bit longer. Others have gone down far longer than I have. And they've, they've had a wonderful time the whole life getting to know the Son of God and letting the Spirit work and, and mold and shape and teach them over their years. We can encourage one another to stay strong, to trust Jesus, to be faithful in our call from the Lord. So I am on a journey. I invite you to follow me as I follow Christ, that we walk together. I love the fact that you've got some fantastic staff, a godly leadership group and your elders and amazing ministry leaders and such a great, amazing group of volunteers all together in one place. And God can do an extraordinary amount of things through this congregation, not just to impact our neighborhood or our community or our city, but to impact the entire world as he sends us. Will we follow if he calls? Let's pray. Father God, we are your people that you have called to follow your Son. You've sent your Spirit to invade our hearts and lives and minds and souls, to teach us and guide us and mature us, to grow us up, to challenge us and to invite us to join you in what you want to do to transform people's hearts and lives, to set them free from the bondage they may be in, to bring the truth where they have been deceived for, the, for, for, the, for their whole life. Thank you, God, for this day, for this reminder that you are in control, that you are accomplishing your will through your people and that we have an important role to play. Thank you for Maple Ridge Alliance Church and for the plans you have for us. May we unhesitantly say yes whenever you call. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.